the Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. I'm Lucas Fickendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my book. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show, a little program that's designed to get your to get your mojo working in or out of work. We just find interesting people who we think have their mojo working in some area of their life. We chat. We ask their opinion, we get their tips and tools of ways that we can make our life better and maybe help the life of somebody else to get their mojo working. Before we start the show, we have got a Mojo Radio Show Rewind. It's kind of a rewind, but it's a going back to something that happened in last week's show. We didn't include it in last week's show. But it was a fascinating conversation that happened out the back of the show. We were just talking off air with our guest, Todd Herman, and Robbo actually asked a very valuable question. So, Robbo, do you want to set that up for us? Yeah, we'd spoken about Todd and what he did and the whole alter ego thing, uh, and you'd suggested that it might be worth me giving a go. And I thought, yep, okay, I'll give it a go, but I couldn't get it to work. So at the end of the interview, I took the opportunity to throw that at Todd. Lola, can you play that, please? I'm on it. That was awesome, mate. Thank you so much. I, I love that. Yeah, well, you're, you're really good at what you do. Can I ask you one quick question? Because Gary, yeah. Gary was telling me about what you do a couple of weeks ago, and I decided yeah. to have a crack at it myself. Um, yeah. And just to give you some background, I, I do radio imaging. So I've got a, a studio here at home, and I do radio imaging for stations all over the world. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I tried to put on this alter ego hat, Mm-hmm. But but if I if I think about what and for me it didn't work and, and for me when I think about why it didn't work and I was listening to you in that interview, I I kind of think now having heard you talk about the imposter syndrome and stuff that it actually made me feel a bit like an imposter that actually mm-hmm. maybe I'm actually not as good as I'm trying to pretend I'm being is is mm-hmm. that a is that a common thing is that something that I need to approach it a different way. Is is there something I should try? I don't know because I'm really interested in the idea, but for me, the first time around, I couldn't get it to work. Yeah, so it goes back to why were you doing it? Why was I doing it? Uh, Gary had suggested it, and it sounded like a good idea. And I was hoping to get—I was hoping to get the result of maybe taking my work to the next level. I guess was if you've grind it right down. Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, uh, and. And what are gonna, what's going to be the traits or abilities that you think you would need to possess in order for you to get your work to the next level? Ooh, uh, I like guess what do what, you think might be what, what, what do you think would be missing right now that you know you, you currently don't have? Thinking maybe thinking outside of the box a bit more. As opposed yeah. to being compartmentalized, having done it for thirty years, I guess I've fallen into a rhythm of this is the way I do I do things. So yeah. I was looking for a way of stepping outside that. So what you're talking about is a perfect example of David Bowie. David Bowie is probably I put him down as the greatest shapeshifter ever. Yeah, and you know the whole for him, even David Bowie was an alter ego. So David Bowie, then he created Ziggy Stardust mm. and his other characters. For him, so he's he's in the same vocation, which is being a uh, performer and singer. But he's going to try on these other identities to express himself in a different way. 
And so for you, you've got this very pragmatic, you've got this very highly skilled, highly refined um, individual that you've crafted over the course of 30 years. But is there a different creative expression for you to get to the same result, but in a slightly different way? And so with it is, um, and this, I would have said this, I could have, just, I could have told you this right from the very beginning, mm. or we could have just got done our little thing like we just did, but just be more playful with it, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know what I'm going to see, you know? And so it, it, it helps if you have, if you're drawing on inspiration from something else. Yeah. So, you know, is there, you know, if, if Yoda sat down to do your work, how would he do it? Or if, you know, fucking Ziggy Stardust did it, how would he do it? Like just playing with that in your own mind is just a great entry point with it. Mm. And, um, you know, you don't need to go through, I, I talk about it in the book and it was actually a great struggle of mine for the book, which was, um, even though a, a book is sequential, right? You're turning chapter, you're turning pages over. But for me, the, all, the, the method that I used with people was never sequential. It's like the center of town. There's many streets and avenues and ways to get there. And you don't need to fucking go down all streets and avenues in order to get to the result. Just like in the book, like I say, you don't need to do all of these things in order to leverage the power of your creative imagination and tip and like some people, they just use a totem and an artifact. Some people, they, they don't name their alter ego. You know, it's just that for each one that you add, you're just leveraging and you're, or you're getting more leverage from it. So, but for me, the most important one is playfulness and being playful with it and just asking the question, what could I do if, and then really being intentional with it. Like I'm really gonna, you know, act as Yoda. That is so good. <laughs> that is absolute gold. Yeah. That, that's, going, <laughs> that's going in the interview. That is, honestly, that, that's just gold. What's really interesting about that, and I think this is something that's actually not really in the book, but I think such a valuable outtake that I have used with people that I work with is when he said, hey, man, just have some fun with it. Because we tend to take all these things really seriously and I think the beauty of being a kid when you want to be Batman or you want to be Spider-Man or you want to be one of the Avengers is it is all playful. Like, it's fun. They are playing. But we think it has to be a really serious grown-up tool. And I just like the idea of, hey, man, just have some fun with it. Just throw, throw on the mask and, and have some fun, which is why he has that Darth Vader mask behind his desk. And every time somebody asks him about it, everyone laughs. But it's actually just a, another form of totem. So uh, is this something you're going to have a bit of fun with? I think I'm definitely going to have a bit of a fun with it. I'm going to uh, try on a few different hats quite literally. I think. The Mojo <laughs> Radio Show. Our guest this week is Dr. Jason Fox. He's a motivational speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's a leadership advisor. And that's all fine. I just find this guy fascinating. And I have done, from the minute Jen Jackson, who was a, a guest on our show, what, six, eight weeks ago, do you reckon, mate? Oh, longer than that. She was back in, at the end of January, early February somewhere, but she was, yeah, around and there. Jen somewhere. wrote a book called How to Speak Human. And the reason that I came across Jason's work is because Jason did the forward for that book and Jen kindly introduced us. But when you go to Dr. Jason Fox and his website, the way he describes himself is kind of a wizard. And I've got to say, the more research I did on this guy, and then you'll hear it through the interview, he's just an interesting, thought-provoking guy. And he gets a lot of speaking work because of his fresh, his fresh view, or as he calls it, fresh perspectives and contemporary philosophies on innovation, creativity, leadership. And he, I mean, he's working with the big end of town, you know, Microsoft and HP and Cisco, Oracle, Toyota, blah, blah, blah. I just find this guy absolutely fascinating. And I think the thing that you're going to hear about this is he's a deep thinker, which in today's world, going back to Cal Newport, who was on our show back in Rocktober, deep work. We talk about it. Very few do it, but I think this guy does. So it's with great pleasure we welcome him to the show. Dr. Jason Fox, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. Guys, before we get started, I've got to tell you, mate, we've got the right guy here because as uh, Jason and I were setting up 
when before you came on, his first words to me were his first text to me was, "Got to grab a co- got to grab a coffee, uh, got to grab a cuppa, be back in five. Yeah, yeah, in the right place. So, Jason, when somebody meets you for the first time, and they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? Um, uh, evasively, usually, um, <laughs> that for a few reasons, it's 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 really tricky to collapse. Uh, and I think this is, this is increasingly for most of us because we wear many hats these days. So it's, so it's a little bit of hard to choose. All right. What, what category do we collapse things into? Um, I'm, I'm also conscious that, uh, uh, as I describe what I do, some people will say, Oh, so you're like a motivational speaker. Um, and I've, I, I, I find the world of motivational speaking to be overly fraught with, um, uh, a lot of ego uh, and a lot of um, extroverted alpha males with big teeth that talk about horrendous concepts like big, hairy, audacious goals and throbbing targets. And if you're inclined towards introversion, as I am, it's that that whole world's a little bit disconcerting and a little bit too um, full of uh, hubris and ego and stuff. So I, I generally, I mean, I, I'm not very good at answering that question, but um, I will sometimes just say, "Oh, I write books," and I sometimes speak at events. And I'm just going to camp there for a second because I find this quite interesting. You, you, on your website, the about us portion of your website, mm. you said one talks about oneself in a covered attempt to convince you of one's character and this is best done as a character of oneself. Mm. Why, why is that? And you have this caricature drawn and I'll get to what the drawing is later in the show. Mm. Why do you feel, because when you opened that, you said evasively, yet you Mm -hmm. are in the public eye as an author, as someone having an opinion through blogs, you stand on Mm -hmm. stage in front of lots of people. Yet it's really interesting when you talk about yourself, you don't want to, and you say it's best done through a caricature. How does all that work? What, what's what's behind that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Oh, this is such a fascinating question. I'm 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 um, ready and willing to indulge in this. This is great. So, um, so the about me page on people's websites is normally some sort of celebration of narrative fallacy. So, narrative fallacy is where we look back on our past and we see these uh, connections between different events and we kind of make a story about it. And most psychological research will say that uh, memory is actually fairly unreliable and most of the stories that we craft about ourselves are uh, highly fallacious. Um, so there's there's a lot of myth and fiction in there. It's not to say they're not necessarily true, but they're a certain perverted version of the truth, which isn't mm. bad. It's, it's just the same, kind of that, that knowingness of... Um, being in this game of um, purporting oneself as an authority, there's, there's kind of some there's some antics one must do in order to build that um, that sense of authority. Uh, uh, but also, when that's coupled with the knowingness of of the, the fact that it is that it it is a little bit of a charade in some regards, um, mm. it kind of means that I'm I'm more willing to step into character. So the character that people book on stage, it is an amplified aspect of myself. So Dr. Jason Fox, it's, it is me. It's who I am. It's just amplified authenticity. It's just one facet of the complex um, nebulous self that we all are. Uh, and it's also the awareness that I'm kind of playing a role or playing a part. Um, persona, um, the actual origins of that refers to a mask uh, or refers to like the the kind of the, the mask that actors would wear in a pantomime. And I'm not necessarily uh, trying to conceal anything. It's more just to highlight that there there's a much richer complexity. But if I was, as I attempt to describe who I am, which is a type of question that people spend decades trying to figure out, you're never really going to get a good or engaging answer on a single web page. So it's kind of like a hat tip to, cool, you're not, not, you're not necessarily here to know the, the, the full depth of who I am and uh, because that's a, that's a wonderfully rich, complex thing for anyone or any one of us. And it starts to get super metaphysical, like we are all potentially one consciousness experiencing ourselves self-subjectively. Um, so in order to not go down that path, it's like, let's, 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 let's focus on the character. This conversation is now going to take an off-ramp. So I'll take, get Robert to take, us, yeah. take the big red bus on an off-ramp here because you've just unlocked something which I find fascinating. 
and it's been a thread through the show of the last couple of weeks, which I want your opinion on. So you have a video on your website and it talks about you preparing for a speech and it's beautifully shot, beautifully put together. You're preparing for your speech and during that, the narration that you present in that video, you talk about writing and presenting your authentic self. Mm-hmm. However, in your podcast, you were very bullish in saying that there is no such thing as an authentic self or a true self. It's actually a fallacy. Mm. So in looking at the work you're doing right now, I'm hearing two conflicting points of view. What Mm. I'm really curious about is where are you today on authentic self, true self, real or is it a fallacy? What is this thing we hear so much about? Oh, the, the mythical search for the true authentic self. <clears throat> uh, I can't remember exactly the context because there's a lot of, um, I'm, I'm terrible at looking back on my own work recorded uh, via video or podcast. I just, I, I cringe. Um, and this is, this, what, what I love about your question is you're allowing me to indulge in what we're all doing essentially is, is and that is uh, a protosynthesis. Um, a protosynthesis is essentially our, our worldview, our stance, our understanding of things is always already a protosynthesis. It's like a prototype, so it's not complete yet. And it's a synthesis of everything that we've read, learned, experienced, and so on. So, so we are all in protosynthesis. And what I like about this, and I wish that more people embrace this sense, is that it takes the view of yourself and of others as always already incomplete. So there's no final stance. There's no final true version. And I think part of the part of the thing about words like authenticity is that they can be a little bit dangerous to folks sometimes when uh, it sets up a false dichotomy in their minds where they think, I just need to be true to myself. I just need like, I, I don't know if this is true to my authentic self. And there's this, there's this kind of contrast to what they're doing in the moment to this mythical ideal of themselves um, that they compare and contrast reality to. And that can start to get quite unhealthy um, because you, you have this kind of beautiful ideal version of who you are in your mind uh, that allows yourself to beat yourself up about yourself because the reality is not matching that ideal vision. And so... Uh, which is interesting because then if you look at the, the nature of self or the self-concept, um, which we all need in order to navigate this this world as part of the theory of mind, it's it's a useful uh, delusion and a wondrous fallacy. I kind of, I like it um, and I like that others have a self-concept too, but it can easily trip into dangerous territories when people identify too closely or get too attached to a fixed notion of themselves. So, what I say when I, if I, if I ever I'm talking about moving closer to authenticity or to be more congruent, and by the way, I'm full of con- contradictions, um, unbeknownst <laughs> and otherwise, as, as we all are. Um, but my my um, my sense of this is like the more that we can move towards a a more nebulous, fluid, porous, open, dynamic sense of self, as in uh, I, th- I think that the closer we're going to get towards some sort of sense of authenticity. Um, but that means that we're also inviting in a lot more complexity because many of us will notice that we're, we're kind of different. I've, I've noticed this thing where I catch up with a friend one-on-one uh, and I'm a certain version of a self, but if I catch up with a friend in a group context where it's, um, mm. you know, three or four or five other people, I seem to play a different role or I seem to kind of embrace a different character, not consciously, but that just seems to be the way it happens. And then if you also think about how state influences your sense of self, so whether you've slept well, whether you've eaten, whether you're hungry, uh, and all those things, you begin to realize that, wow, that the self uh, is really influenced by the state of the body, which is really influenced by the environment and the company and the other mix of cells that we're in. So it quickly gets really ambiguous and nebulous and hence why knowing that richer complexity from a philosophical standpoint, I kind of, I almost like flag that, cool, you know, um, I don't even know who I am, but um, but here are some characters or here are some roles that I play. Um so hopefully that meandering answer kind of gives some some gleam of sense. I think it's gold, Jason. I, I actually think the reason I've taken this off ramp 
is because mm. in the last couple of weeks I had the privilege of interviewing a guy called Todd Herman mm-hmm. who has written a book called The Alter Ego Effect. And oh, yes. basically the book is written about, I mean, the easiest way to describe it is Beyonce grew up in the church. She could not step on stage and twerk as Beyonce because she had all these church influence and beliefs, but she could walk on stage as Sasha Fierce. Eminem created a character on stage called Slim Shady. Um, Susie Quattro yeah, had yeah, Susie Quattro, and then off stage she was little Susie from Detroit. So they created these, uh, and in your words, the caricatures or these characters. Mm. And the book is fantastic, and we had a really long discussion with Todd on the show, which I loved. And what I'm amazing, yeah. What I'm hearing now is that kind of yours is a sciencey, philosophical view of that, which is about characters and acting in different roles in different places. Here's what he named it and called it our alter ego. Mm. So do you, because you, when you're writing and you're with your partner, Kim, I suspect you have a character, you play a character, you said you walk on stage, that's walking into a character. Have you ever articulated how many of those you have? (laughs) <laughs> no, not really. It's, uh, but I, I love this. And I, I pulled the links up as you said that. It says this looks fascinating and the alter ego mm. looks like it only came out in February. So yes. um, hold off the press. Um, I'm so excited to get into this. And it's uh, all this, this kind of there there's so there's no named characters but there are certainly uh traits that i find myself in there's there's uh, and and there are modes or themes when i'm writing it's it's in in person in reality i'm actually quite um uh i guess overly considerate of others and tentative uh, very i don't like to i don't like to make people feel uncomfortable or to hurt people's feelings. And that will often have me not say particular things because I don't want to, I don't want to cause any discomfort. Um, even mm. if I, hear, so say for an example, I'm in an audience and, um, I remember a while ago I was in this audience and a motivational speaker was telling high school students they need to know exactly where they want to be in 10 years time, what car <laughs> they'll drive, what job they'll have. And it just struck me as super inept in this day and age. Um, and, putting unnecessary pressure on, on these, these, um, teenagers who are already under immense pressure. Um, so, and, you know, there's part of me, the intellectual, uh, philosophical part of me, uh, that cares about these students that, that wants to say something, but also I, I know what I, what a kind of an act of vulnerability it can be to be up on stage sharing stuff. Um, so I didn't confront the speaker, but there are other aspects that I can tap into, uh, in my writing or in other, there are other versions of my, like that I can step into that allow me to kind of speak different shades of truth. Um, that otherwise the, I guess the, the no hat version of myself, the one that's kind of that, the nebulous ambiguous sense of self, like the general character, uh, wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable to do so. I mean, I, the, the alter ego, um, just at a superficial level, I'm, although I really want to get into the depth of the book, I'm, I'm super excited. You haven't, like I'm currently writing my next book, which will probably take me a couple of years at this rate, but um, uh, maybe even three. Uh, but but this seems quite relevant. Um, that, that, that we seem to be in a world at the moment where people are increasingly disillusioned and disenchanted, and the how hyper-connected we are with technology and how disconnected we are to reality because we're spending so much time on our screens. It's left me thinking there's, there's something that we can do in terms of rekindling myth and, uh, and, and a, knowing, a knowing use of illusion and enchantment to have more folks inspired to participate in this um, cosmic dance that we're in and to, to kind of play a role in this, in this, in this, in this world of ours. Um, and that, that's like, uh, cause I mean, in the context too, we look at social media and we see how polarizing the world, uh, has become, how polarized the world has become because people are spending time on social medias in their own filter bubble, getting reinforced particular worldviews and then finding it increasingly hard to, uh, relate to other perspectives. And I just, I just worry about where all this is going to. So hence why things like alter ego or, or people having a, a bit of a, 
a, a looser and more playful sense of themselves rather than a fixed rigid, this is who I am and this is what I stand for. And, and then having to draw lines and barriers between folks. Um, I think, I think that's a better space to go towards. I am totally rambling at the moment, but you just, I, I'm, I'm super surprised and delighted because uh, you just twinged on something I think that's, that's really important and fascinating this day and age. At the head of the show, we played a piece, and this, this is going to tie back to what you just said, that this involves Robbo, that we'd finished recording with Todd and Robbo posed a question to Todd to say, I endeavoured to put on an alter ego to do some work, but I found myself contradicting my alter ego. So Todd then did basically a two or three minute intervention with Robbo and took him through a process of how he might go about approaching the alter ego for his work in the studio at the the console, which we heard at the head of the show. Mm. One of the most profound things he said that really took the oxygen out of the studio was when he said, hey, man, just have some fun with it. Mm. And it just goes back to what you just said, that we take this thing so seriously. We take all these different technologies and thoughts and everything so seriously, but it was, and it just freshened everything up. He said, hey, man, just have fun with it. And yeah, you could just see, yeah, and Robert's shoulders just dropped and went, wow, that's, that's really cool. And I'm wondering whether this then ties to the next bit that I want to hear from you, Jason, is the wizard and whether what we've just talked about presents itself in a real way in your life by you creating the wizard and setting Mm. a set of values against the wizard to make it a bit mythical and a bit fun and Mm. a bit playful. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have this habit of um, choosing one word for each year to serve as a bit of a contextual theme. So um, if one were to imagine their life as an autobiography, and it isn't, um, but sometimes it's useful to think as as though it were, then if you look back on each year of your life or even just in the last 12 months, there, there is sometimes a bit of a theme that people can see. If, if, if asked to distill the last 12 months into just one word, we can, we can get a sense of the theme. And for many people, when I ask this, the, the theme of the last 12 months is busy, hectic, challenging change or varying degrees of that. And sometimes there's, there's words like adventure or happy or things like that. But when asked for you to choose, what, what might be a word that you can choose for the next 12 months of your life? that might serve as a fuzzy contextual beacon so that if you wander off track, and we all do, it might call you back in line to what your intention is. What might that word be? And so for for me, um, when I started this, I chose the word kingly. This is years and years ago, and that was all about stepping up and growing a beard and having integrity and writing the book and doing things like (laughs) I said I would. Um, And then that that brought a lot of seriousness, so I then chose the word pirate, which is all about being jolly and drinking more rum, looking after my mates, exploring new uncharted territories, being commercially savvy and buoyant. Um, I then had the year of the gentleman pirate because I was sick of people saying, oh, pirate, yar, and it's like, no, no, it's more like yore, and and that was a... the gentleman year was a year on focusing on quality in all things and being a paragon of aplomb. Uh, I then had the year of jester, which was the theme for me is getting more comfortable telling truth to those in positions of power. And uh, a lot of truth is said in jest and to be lighter and more nimble and playful in my approach to things. Um, in that year, we let go of two staff and returned it just to Kim and myself, which um, gave us a lot more freedom in the business. Um, Jester then led to the year of wizard and the year of wizard was, um, an attempt to step into authority. But for me personally, the, the, the word thought leader or expert or guru or, or any other, the, the, the kind of the odd titles that people give themselves, it's that that all being kind of tainted a little bit. Um, I find that the world of thought leadership often seems to be a lot of, parroting of whatever is um, popular in the conventional narrative of the of LinkedIn or in the zeitgeist. And uh, you have a lot of people explaining stuff and purporting themselves to be experts without necessarily having, my, uh, well, to my stance, but necessarily having done a lot of the thinking work. Um, mm. And the thing about thought leadership um, is that real thought leadership is actually quite suspect. Um, it's, it's the stuff that exists on the fringes, which isn't really immediately 
understood or accepted. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of the thought leaders of today are simply um, uh, sharing versions of the acceptable conventional narratives. So the Wizard was uh, a year of uh, an attempting to be a bit more eccentric. Wizard is never late and I wanted to lean into writing my book, but also uh, it allowed me to present a, a different title to try to encapsulate um, what I am. So um, Wizard, uh, Wizard kind of appeared a bit more in the public profile. And this year is the, the year of Fool, uh, F-O-O-L. Um, and that's, a, that's another mythic archetype. The, the Fool, in my mind, seems to play with inversions and uh, is more of a, uh, there's, for me, it's a reminder to actually embody the philosophies that I sprout, even if it means that people may laugh at me. <laughs> and, mm. uh, it's, it's, a and, and so, yeah, so, so wizard has, has been like each, each year, the kind of the words get integrated and wizard has um, been quite integrated into the character. And, uh, now I just need to try to be a little bit more foolish. Um, and, uh, for me, that also translates into trying to figure out how to, how to grow um, a business without relying on social media? Uh, because I don't, I don't know if I, I, I don't feel like the world of social media is that healthy at this stage. Uh, there's a wonderful book, um, Ten Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts, right now by Jaron Lanier. Mm. It makes a distinction that is, it looks like social media is not bad. It's just that the current phase is kind of like how paint was lead-based paint a while ago. It's like not that people are going to stop painting their houses. It's just like we need to pause and let the industry figure this out so that we can have a healthier version. Um, and then I don't know if anyone's paid attention to the latest uh, TED Talks, but um, Carol, I can't remember her last name, opened the conference and essentially led the show by by calling out Facebook, Twitter, and so on for their role in Brexit. Um and the, the, the criminal role of the um, the platforms in, in terms of how they shaped and influenced the voters uh, in the Brexit thing. It was a very bold move and wonderful move from Ted because Facebook were one of the major sponsors. And so it, there's this funny landscape we're in. And so essentially how to kind of grow a business in a post-capitalist way uh, uh, and uh, without relying on social media. That's my foolish challenge for the year. It's interesting. You know, we had a, a guest on the show some time back and who was very big on talking about uh, their authentic self, being true to their authentic self, and they'd build a whole brand around that. Oh, dear. And social media was a very big part of it, and it's mm. probably one of the few shows we actually have got negative feedback on because it was just so evident that this person was talking about their authentic self and being true to their authentic self, yet... Mm. They weren't, and everything they posted on social media was this idyllic, beautiful world with a beautiful couple and beautiful home and beautiful mm. everything, always smiling. And it was really interesting that one thing that Todd Herman talks about in The Alter Ego, and you've mentioned this, is it's a part of you, but mm. it's not all of you. Mm. What it made me think, Jason, is that this, this guest had almost, and the, the way you talk about it in your work is that people don armor or they don a mask to protect themselves as a way of survival. And I'm just wondering whether you think this is happening more and more where we are taking on these roles that we think the outside world wants to see that makes us look impressive, yet on the inside we're hollow and we're dying. Is that something you are seeing in your work and observations through either social media or in the corporate world? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do, and it's also. I think it's it's partly an, a natural um, social adaptation that we do. Um, uh, but at the same time, I also feel like there was a phase where um, people took uh, Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability and kind of wore the vulnerability badge and were um, almost manufacturing vulnerability. Like, okay, guys, I'm just going to be vulnerable here, and it was like a, a stage safe version of vulnerability. And I remember Brene. Um, at one stage, a few, a couple of years later, I said, look, the number of people that you can be truly vulnerable with is could probably fit on a postage stamp. Um, this is not about going out and um, trumpeting your vulnerability necessarily. And, you know, you can do your head in. And this is part of the thing I think that uh, happens is we start overly preening ourselves for the masses. And, um, and this is where, uh, I mean, I, I, I do see like... The, the reason why I think uh, 
masks are important and these I, I think of masks as see-through masks um, as in uh, I think possibly even a better word than mask is facet as in if you see yourself as a multifaceted um, uh, your self-concept is multifaceted it's actually quite porous and nebulous and ambiguous and all that but if it's if it's just if you think imagine of yourself as this multifaceted diamond even though I don't really want to have encouraged people to take a rigid version of themselves, but if if it's there's multiple facets, there is a there is a thing around choosing which facet to shine the light on, and so coming back to your original question, how do you answer the 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 question? So what do you do? Or tell us about yourself. In that moment, we need to think through. All right, um, with empathy for the person asking this question, because we need to factor in cognitive ease. Like we can't burden them with too much detail about ourselves um, and all the contradicting bits and stuff. So we need to think, okay, in this context for this person, what aspect of ourselves are we going to show? And this is where usually people are looking to try to collapse it into a category that they're familiar with so that they can kind of place, okay, where they are in relation with you. And, um, and so that's where, you know, uh, I, I try to encourage people to adopt a mythic role um, and because uh, it's a bit more of a playful conversation. But I can understand when people will answer that and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a CEO of a blah, blah, blah and stuff. And I, I don't know. There's, there's also, I think this is quite Australian thing. Um, no, it's not even Australian. There's this, there's this thing that um, many of us find where we find pure sincerity to be a little bit distrustful. Um, so if someone is presenting a, a really polished uh, character and they're saying all the right things, I just, I just feel like I, I just, I don't, there's not enough contrast in the character. It's, it's, um, uh, I, I remember once we saw this this um, speaker um, who was uh, talking about happiness, the seven keys to happiness, and uh, he was there. He's super fit. He had a beautiful um, partner on stage, and she was also helping out. And they live in this lovely place in New York, and all this stuff. And um, everything they were saying was perfect. And um, a mate of mine sitting next to me leaned over and said, oh, they must get up to some fucked up shit in the bedroom. Uh, <laughs> and just that, that, that sense of like, yeah, because this, this can't be true. Um, this can't be true. And I find that when people reveal a little bit of a rough edge or a bit of the shadow side of themselves, it just makes it all kind of more acceptable and believable because we're all fragile, insecure, um, incomplete beings trying to make our way in the world. And uh, uh, and so how to do that, but without overly thinking it and getting too caught up in preening. I mean, that, that's that's kind of where, the, and I'm, yeah, I, so I, again, another long answer to your question, but I hope, hopefully <laughs> there's, there's this point where I kind of get on a roll where I forget what the original question was, but I'm, I'm hoping I um, uh, addressed the thrust of the matter. What's, what I'm curious about is uh, something that you, 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 you are a self-described person who believes they are sometimes guilty of overthinking stuff. Does... Hmm. Does that sometimes get in the way, Jason, of getting stuff done? How do you navigate? Oh, because yeah. you are you you do allocate <laughs> a lot of time for deep thinking. You do put a lot of thought into stuff. Where is that fine line where you do the thinking, but then you you have to you have to do something with it? How do you navigate that? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, well, this is part of the shadow side, right? So in terms of. Uh, like the tagline I've got on the website is that I overthink. Um, oh, what was it? I overthink leadership and work, or something like that. Um, it's just it's it's partly because I think that um, the rest of the world is underthinking this. So I overthink leadership, motivation, and work. Um, I, I, I feel. And it's natural. We're all so super busy. So it's natural that we'll favor quick fixes and familiar solutions and default ways of doing things. Um, and someone needs to be doing the thinking. And there are there are many of us there. So that's kind of the role that I play. But how does that extend into the uh, real world is, yeah, I'm, um, I am a champion procrastinator. And I say procrastinate. I think that procrastination is actually a good thing. Uh, and I think it's gotten a bad rap uh, in the world. Uh, and the more complex the domain you're working in, the better um, procrastination can be for you up to a point. And that point where it usually has me execute things um, is usually a combination where 
Uh, I sometimes need to trick myself into doing it, which is a, a funny paradox because it implies that there are parts of yourself that are tricking other parts of yourself, which already speaks to the uh, multitudinous nature of our self-concept. Um, but so I'll, I'll do things like make a declaration or put on an event or or something where I need to get something done by that particular point in time. And the other thing is that I, I enjoy brooding um, and part of my brooding and I, and I love the process of writing. It's, it's kind of how I think and process things. And there gets a point where the pain of not sharing a particular thing outweighs um, the pain of actually sharing it. Um, and, and that's the point where I release it into the world and, and then get um, emails about typos and, and things from swiftly <laughs> in return. But, um, uh, yeah, so, so there's, it's kind of like, um, and it's a lucky, I mean, it's, it's a privileged position to be able to have the time to, to spend uh, doing this. Um, and it's not, not, not everyone can do this. There are many folks that need to work um, there are many different pathways and stuff. So I do have the time to think and I just hope that sometimes I'm able to distill this thinking into forms that are of use to folks. And when I feel it might be of use, I release it into the world. You have spoken about strategy in business today. This is something you have been brooding on, no doubt. And you've said business is driven by two things, bandwagonism and incrementalism. Mm. I'm I'm curious on that. What what are you seeing at the moment in business? It's interesting. So I, I do work with a lot of senior leadership teams, CEOs and C-suite, and uh, in different industries and countries. And the challenges are there are there are a lot of commonalities commonalities across the different groups. Um, Organizations have now become super complex. Um, the hyperconnectivity that we have now means that work doesn't happen just at work. It happens wherever and whenever. Um, also, the geographical spread of larger organizations means that you have executives working in many different time zones. And so their day becomes super fragmented. There's absolutely no time for deep work. Uh, and the, you have leaders start to view the world in bullet points because they don't have time to mm. get into the gist of things. So uh, really important trends to be monitoring like uh, blockchain uh, are seen simply as an important trend to monitor and there's not the awareness of distributed ledger or the impacts that might have uh, in terms of how it might be used within the workforce or um, things. And, and also strategy in, in large traditional or legacy organizations is often done in a in a classic top-down approach. So a strategic offsite will be organized uh, and this will be really hard to, to do and every executive is super busy, so it's really hard to find the time that works for everyone. And when we do ha find the time, um, people you know, realize that it's actually quite expensive to bring all the executives into one room for, for a day or two and so there's an agenda that's built in, you know, 20-minute increments of all the things that need to be covered um, and 98 page PowerPoint deck is created just to bring people up to speed of the latest strategy. Um, no one reads it. People arrive. Mm. The agenda swiftly gets off track. And then we get to this point of tension where we realize that in order to say yes to this thing that moves us closer to future relevance, we need to say no to this thing. But this thing's the thing that a good group of people have spent a lot of time and emotional effort on. They don't want to say no to that thing. And thus it gets tense and awkward. And if we were to stay in that tension, we might find a better pathway. But what will happen is someone will say, come on, guys, we're way off track here. And everyone will agree and we'll settle for the lowest common denominator, the thing that maximizes harmony amongst the room. And at the end of the day, we'll be staring at a set of goals that looks eerily similar to last year's goals, calling it good strategy. And this is where the <laughs> incrementalism and bandwagonism comes in because we'll just look at what we did last year, tweak the numbers a little bit to make it slightly aspirational, and then we'll scan the zeitgeist for whatever's hot. Uh, so it used to be agile and disruptive. Now it's digital transformation. There'll be some other buzzword that comes in where which we can label into the strategy. Vision 2020 was popular a while ago, but um, next year we're going to be in 2020. So that doesn't really serve as a strategy <laughs> uh, thing. So, you know, but there's kind of this pattern that I see. And the result, the, the, the cause of all this is this relentless busyness that is this intersubjective meme where everyone feels that they need to be super responsive, super busy. And a lot of the work that we do could be considered a delusion of progress. Or um, there's this book that uh, was 
came out uh, based on an essay that was written a few years ago called Bullshit Jobs. And mm. bullshit jobs being jobs that if they were to disappear, um, a lot of people wouldn't even notice that they were gone. And this is yeah. it's a sad thing to think that they're there. But I think within many jobs within organizations, there are a whole heap of bullshit tasks, like tasks that if no one did that, no one would actually be upset or really even notice. And so I see a lot of leaders just swamped in these bullshit tasks and then trying to uh, and lacking time to actually think deeply about things, hence why there's a turn towards incrementalism and bandwagonism. I think that is gold, mate. I, I hope that people take that on board. And the thing I wrote down was suggesting leaders do a bullshit task audit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Look well, in no, the mirror that- of truth and go, you know what, we really do this. But you know what, I mean, let's be honest, it's bullshit. Totally. And, and that's the thing. You get them all agreeing on that because individually they're like, oh, I think it's bullshit, but other people, they, they think it's... Now you get them all agreeing with it because there's this thing, you can't magically create time, but we can we can carve out more time by reducing the bullshit tasks that we do or, or just mitigating or minimizing them. So yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it. You said that business is kept, the words you use were kept captive by outdated views on productivity. And that on our show, and I suspect on Amazon, everything else, iTunes, that that is one hot topic. When you do something on productivity, oh, yeah. everybody is trying to get more productive in mm. whatever way. We're looking for the for the next thing. And I'm just curious, what what are you seeing? What what are the outdated notions that people have on productivity? And what's your contrarian view that you would bring to a client, a corporate person to say, well, that's an outdated look at productivity. Here's yeah, a new yeah. way to look at it. What would you say? Yeah, I love it. Oh, your questions are brilliant. Um, so uh, I think I think when I say outdated, I'm, I'm normally referring to uh, industrial era mindset of things, which is normally where you're looking about I make distinctions between productivity and efficiency and progress and efficacy or effectiveness. And um, in this post-industrial internet-enabled world that we're in, many of the uh, many of the traditional notions, um, well, there, there are new tensions in play, tensions between hierarchies and networks, between centralized control and distributed authority, between being controlling and being empowering, between planning and experimentation. There are whole new ways of working that don't work so well if we apply old school thinking to this new world of work that we're in. But the, the challenge is that you have a lot of leaders that have worked their way up in a particular way of seeing things. And it's, and it's kind of tricky to shift the philosophy for this new way of work, particularly if there isn't the trust in the organization people to do the work. And so therefore, there's this reliance on things like smart goals, um, where things are specific, measurable, achievable, time-based, which narrow people's focus and work really well in stable environments where the work is formulaic and predictable, but don't work so well in complex, dynamic uh, or volatile spaces. So if you're training for the Olympics or building widgets, um, these types of smart goals, work out what you want to do, work out your plan, how you're going to execute and get on with it, that's fine. But it, but in a, in a complex domain, it's 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 very different. The, the challenge with my message with productivity, I find productivity is very popular at the moment and it's very easy for people to sell optimized approaches. So how to get more out of your day, how to, how to squeeze more, how to be more productive. And they'll have apps that you can wear on your wrists that will show you how productive you are and all those things. The unfortunate thing is, <laughs> my thing is, it's much more about, okay, let's, let's stop measuring most of the things. Um, Let's make sure we're asking the better questions and let's decontaminate most of the work that we do from unnecessary measures because our, from a psychological standpoint, our motivation, focus, attention and behavior will naturally gravitate to the things that provide the richest sense of progress. The things that provide the richest sense of progress are often the, the kind of the default things or the very simple tasks that have rich and immediate feedback loops. This is why we have lots of emails. And in fact, in, in many organizations, it's much more of a, career advancement strategy to broadcast that you're doing the work than it is to actually do the work itself, which is which is why you get emails about emails and meetings about meetings and this pantomime of busyness because it's it's easier to broadcast that you're doing the work. The, the work the, the work that matters is complex, ambiguous, nebulous. It's it's hard to get a clear 
quantitative sense of progress. It's, it's less rich and immediate than many of the bullshit tasks that we find ourselves defaulting to. And the the, the issue is we default to these bullshit tasks is that the way that uh, incentives are structured, the way that we tend to value things, tends to favour the 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 kind of the the easily to measure. What what gets measured is what gets done, is the old adage. So um, yeah, my message is more about um, coming back to the question: What are we trying to do here? Uh, what what are we moving closer to future relevance? What needs are we meeting? And then uh, the trust in in people to be to have the autonomy to to figure out the best way to meet those needs. Um, and of course, there are structures around that that can help. Um, Agile and Scrum have many structures in that regard. But yeah, my message of there's a book that came out recently. Um, a book called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, um, which is brilliant and brilliantly hard in this day and age, doing nothing. Uh, Roman Muradov uh, wrote a book, uh, I think, a year ago called Doing Nothing as well. Uh, and there's this there's this sense of uh, the world of not not doing. Uh, like uh, this this it's very popular for people to champion. Oh, we need to get into action, or we need we need we want you to give us some top tips that we can immediately apply when we get back to work. And there seems to be this almost this fear of depth where people are just constantly scanning for the tip, the tip of the iceberg, but not actually spending time at depth. And I think that uh, those that are able to focus and go deep are at a distinct advantage as we're in this kind of world that we move into. And those that are trying to optimize and squeeze more out of their day are kind of in a race to the bottom or they're going to be competing against the uh, automated or algorithmic or artificial intelligence. And I don't think that's a game that uh, we want to be playing. To take us out, I want to wrap a few things into a question here, Jason. And you talked about the fact that you you think and or maybe you procrastinate. And you said that in the midst of writing your book, maybe it's the one coming up or a previous book, you said you had a conflict of values and you wanted to get up early in the morning and write, but then you also wanted to stay in bed because you figured that was the right thing to do for your partner, Kim, who enjoyed that. And so you said it was a conflict of values. And what I'm curious about with the deep work you do and the amount of thinking you put into stuff, is that a conflict of values or is there a chance that could be an excuse not to get it done? Um, in this instance, I actually, I, I think that the, the more we can understand that there are, there are many conflicting values that we have, and this is, this is referencing the work of Lisa LaHaye and Robert Keegan, who wrote a book called Immunity to Change. And Immunity to Change looks at the, the challenge of some people who, who know that they want to do a particular thing and have tried all sorts of strategies. And what it reveals is often there is a hidden commitment that we're not actually paying attention to that is actually getting in the way of change happening. And so in my world, because I travel uh, a lot, I have periods of time where I'm flying and I'm away from home. Uh, and, it, you know, from a psychological perspective, I, um, parents divorced when I was very little and I've probably got some sort of deep need to maintain harmony and connection and stuff. This is all my own shit that I'm dealing with, but there's a sense of, um, uh, there's a sense of like, I'm kind of, I, the alarm goes off and there's part of me, um, possibly the, um, Daniel Kahneman, the author of thinking fast and slow mm-hmm. makes a distinction between the experiencing self and the nar- narrating self. Um, so there might be the experiencing self or there might be a value of actually, this is really important and nice. I mean, Kim's fine by the way, she's given me complete permission to get up and go. It's just, it's more my own stuff. Mm. Um, uh, and, and yet it's, it's still like, it's still real. Um, but I've I found ways to like helping when I really, realized that that was happening, the, the awareness of that hidden commitment has made given me insight as to better ways to navigate that because I'm committed to writing as well. And so the this doesn't always work, but the, the kind of the thing I've been able to do better is if I do get up to write in the morning and I'm off and I'm in my own introverted tunnel vision kind of uh, hyper-focused mode for the first half of the day, it usually means that come... Um, late afternoon, I'm pretty spent and uh, I can Mm. then actually focus on making a nice dinner and actually being super present in the evenings. Um, So it was a nice kind of of awareness that is revealed. And I think that if more people 
if, if people spent less time beating themselves up about not achieving a particular goal and not, you know, being not being their true authentic selves and committing to the path of success and get curious and to see themselves through a more complex lens, it might reveal more more elements or insights that uh, that even though the path is a bit more convoluted, it might reveal a better pathway to meaningful progress. Just to wrap up, this is just a, a personal curious question for you. You you do a lot of journaling. You do a lot of writing. You are a person who takes the time to sit, think, ponder. And I love that comment, you know, you love brooding. And you do a lot of that through documenting, writing, getting thoughts out of your head, morning, morning pages. I guess, so I know you journal and you mm. journal a lot. Is there a system you have for being able to go back through your thoughts? How do you, or do you catalog? Do you tag? Do you have an index? How do you go about, because you do a lot of it and you would have mm. a lot of journals. Is there a process you go through? The, the activity in and of itself of writing, um, something uh, originally inspired by Julia Cameron's um, The Artist's Way, of uh, three pages of free-flow consciousness uh, writing. It's, a lot of it's gibberish. It's all over the place, but it seems to have a an almost meditative effect of um, uh, quieting, quietening the mind, uh, or at least, or revealing hidden things that I didn't consciously know um, was I was thinking about or worried about or or had ideas about. So it's a lovely it's a lovely activity in and of itself. And I rarely actually look back on things, but I've I've since shifted from the um, paper based journals. Even though I love the romance of that, uh, I use an app now called Day One Journal, which is I think available on Mac. I'm not sure if it's on PC, but that has this thing where. Um, you just kind of, you write your entry, you just put it in there and it will tag where you are and what time and what the weather is and stuff. And, um, but it has this thing where it can show you, like I was just, after I did some journaling this morning, I looked back and I saw this time on this day, two years ago, I was pretty much angsting about the exact same thing. Um, <laughs> like, oh, it's been, it's been, been a little while since I've done a newsletter and, um, and I've got to get my thinking about the book and blah, blah, blah. And, and that, that's, that's interesting in and of itself, um, that, that feedback, because, we often carry these stories and it's usually only our closest partners that, that kind of know how boringly predictable they are. There's this kind of mm. the same patterns reoccurring, but when you actually have the evidence of that and you see that yourself, it's kind of, and when you get bored of your own story, it kind of inspires you to, to introspect and think, okay, well, what's actually going on here? And is there a better story that can be told here? Um, and so, so, uh, you know, the story I've got at the moment is, um, it's hard to find time to write and balancing the tensions between doing, writing the next book and then doing, doing other work and stuff. But that's a story. I've been holding on to for, for many years. So I need to kind of reshape what that might be. Jason, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. Where's, your, where's the hub for all Jason stuff? Sure. It's um, drjasonfox.com. So drjasonfox.com. Um, the, the thing I, I have my, my newsletter, um, uh, which you can find at the bottom of the page or drjasonfox.com forward slash ahoy. Um, and there's also my, uh, my podcast, which comes out far less regularly than yours. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm astounded by like the professionality and like the, the kind of the, the, your ability to make episodes happen and uh, the consistent quality is so good. The mind's like a haphazard kind of uh, thing, but you can find that the cleverness with Dr. Jason Fox um, on iTunes, Spotify and so on. Um, and that's, that's kind of it between, between books. I, I kind of have a ghost town presence on LinkedIn, but that's not the best <laughs> place to really connect with me. Um, it's got this, this kind of embarrassing, I'm haunted by my past cells um, there. So, um, yeah, so drjasonfox.com is probably the best place. And I'll put a link to your podcast in the show notes, Jason, because the oh, episode you did on the one word where you, you really deep dive into, I think, eight, nine or even ten different things that need to be to go into it. If you really, really want to dig into that as a topic and explore the possibilities and all the different angles, uh, that's a real deep dive, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So Thanks, um, it's been a privilege. Thank you. The Mojo Radio Show. He's a smart thinker, old Foxy, isn't he? Foxy. Foxy. Yes, he is. <laughs> and 
I, I, did, I, love the, I, I love meeting people who do think deeply about stuff. And even if you throw a question that they haven't got that, you know how we get a lot of guests on and have their rehearsed answers and you've got to get mm. behind that facade mm. and get them to start thinking. You could almost hear the wheels in his mind turning. You could almost hear him writing some of those questions in his journal take away and go, actually, I will ponder that more. So like, that was a great delight. I, I really, really enjoyed talking to Jason. He liked your questions, that's for sure. The Mojo Radio Show. So, folks, just before we close out today's show, we, we're trying a new thing called Patreon. And Patreon is a brand new platform where people, if they like the work you're doing, something in a creative endeavor, whether it be music or a book or a movie or something you're doing, and you need support for it, and people like what you're doing, they jump onto Patreon. It's not a sponsorship so much. It's just a donation to say, you know what? We really like what you're doing, want to see it work, want to help you do what you do. Here's a little donation. And I've been watching Patreon for a couple of years, and there's some really interesting projects on Patreon. So we thought we'd give it a go only because we need to buy some new studio kit to make a sound better. Lola needs an upgrade. Sounds good to me. We also want to get to more people. So we are planning a program to get us out to more people around the world. And to be honest with you, it's just a matter of us being at our best to help you be at your best so you can do much better in your own world in and out of work and perhaps go and help more people to be better at what they do. So... If you like the idea of what we're doing, jump on, check out Patreon. It's a really interesting platform just for any business leader to know what is going on around the world. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Put in the Mojo Radio Show. You'll find us really easy. I put a link to us, to our Patreon page in the show notes. It's the easiest way to get to them. We already have had some people come in and support us, which is awesome. We'll be making note of that next week. What are we... um, so people who support us on Patreon, what are we doing? Or oh, I think uh, I think we should do a bit of a greatest hits thing, don't you? I reckon. Uh, what could Explosive we call it? Explosive hits, two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> you just nailed it. There you go. Done. Explosive hits, <laughs> two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Coming to you live and loud, keeping it tight and bright. The best of the Mojo Radio. But the problem is, the best of the Mojo Radio show will run what 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> we stretch it with a couple of sweepers. <laughs> hey, just um, to answer in a public forum, a private question that got thrown at me yesterday is, um, of course, the Mojo Radio Show will continue in its free form that it's in now. This is just a, a way for you to get your hands on a bit of extra stuff, right? Yeah, good call. Yeah, it is. This is just... Um if you log into Patreon, you make a donation to us, which you'll see all the details there. It's pretty cool. We are going to send you a special show, which is basically Explosive Hits, which is the best of the best for the last year. And also we'll be doing, well, I don't know what we call it, off, off, the, off the cutting room floor of stuff that <laughs> we haven't really put out into the ether, ethernet before, into the interwebs. And it's just a reward to say thanks very much. It's a lot more work for us, but to be honest with you, it's all good fun. It's stuff that we want to do because we're not making any money out of this. We just want to be able to invest it back in to keep the show getting better and better. And if it's off the cutting room floor, can we call it sawdust and peanut shells? More like <laughs> Tim Tam wrappers and empty beer bottles. I think, I think actually we're going to call it like a backstage pass because that's what it's yeah, going to be. It's going idea. to be basically the stuff that's behind the scenes. Mm. It'll be more about us, the show, mm the bits that we love, how we've implemented it, maybe some book reviews or, you know, whatever. So I think it'll just be sort of a backstage pass. It'll be an extra monthly thing which will anyone who donates will work out how to get it to you. And then, of course, if you do come on to Patreon and become a supporter, you get the the whole idea of the um, – what do I call it? The exp- you get, you'll get the whole Explosive Hits album as an additional thing. That's so, right. Um, and just one warning too, if you do get a backstage pass, stay out of AP's dressing room. That's a whole rabbit hole you don't want to go down. <laughs> now, speaking of which, um, because my Explosive Hits 2019 is so ordinary, <laughs> maybe we could get the great man. Lofty Fulton to do oh. an Explosive Hits 19 because, Ooh. and the reason I say that is he's got a brand new book out mm-hmm. and I'm currently reading it. It's an amazing story. Lofty is, you have to say, one of the most recognised voices, well, one of the most heard voices around the world because he does the voiceover for Australian MasterChef 
which I think, if I'm correct, is the most viewed cooking or, or food show in the world, isn't it? It's the, it's the highest rating cooking show on the planet. 118 countries at last count. Yeah, amazing. So maybe we could get Lofty on the show, talk through the book, <laughs> and then Connie with some beers and Tim Tams to uh, do the explosive <laughs> hits intro for us because I don't think I'm going to cut it. All right. Well, let's see what we can do. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a great talk. That great show. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, to take us out, enough from us, uh, I reckon, mm-hmm. because of that profound question you asked at the start of the show, mm-hmm. why don't we play some Bowie and why don't we play some classic Ziggy Stardust? What tracks should we play? I, I like Starman. I'm in a bit of a Starman mood. That sounds That's good to classic. me. classic. We're out. Didn't know what time it was. lights were low, oh, oh. Back on my radio, oh, oh. Some cat was laying down some rock and roll at a solar set. Then the loud sound did seem to fade. Came back like a slow voice on a wave of fade. That weren't no DJ, that was hazy cosmic time. There's a star man waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a star man waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au. 
and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.